Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join me in a sunny and empty capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by George Davis, director of George Davis Hairdressing, a Bloomsgrove-based hairdressing salon. George, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the program today. Uh, now, normally we get straight into uh, the topic of leadership, but considering the ongoing COVID-19 outbreak, I'd be mm-hmm. remiss if I didn't ask how it was affecting your business. Um, yeah, it's affecting it greatly. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's affecting it in lots of ways, really. One, I really, we really miss doing it, and I really miss my, my, my team. I know they're all being looked after by our government, but uh, it's strange because it's what I do, it's what we do. I miss it greatly. Now, um, what sort of long-term effect do you expect this to have within your uh, organization? The long-term, I'm quite optimistic about, really. I know there'll be a lot of clients who will be looking forward to getting their hair cut and colored and looking after themselves as they always had, always have, rather. Um the only thing that, that that worries me is the future. Who's going to pay the price for all the benefits we're getting from our government? But I do believe that hairdressing, hairdressing, the hairdressing industry is recession or difficulty resistant. So I'm very optimistic about the future. Well, you are right. There is a, a certain questions to be asked as to uh, whether the economic uh, and civil measures that the state is undertaking are are um, able to be uh, continued in the long term, uh, yeah. if they will cause damage, or if they are uh, infringing on people's inherent civil liberties. Uh, but of course, uh, that has to be tempered with uh, public health. Uh, so we will have to see uh, how this plays out in the long term, of course. Now, um, we might as well move on to the subject of leadership. I always like to start this part of the conversation off by simply asking um, a very simple question. Uh, What does the word leader mean to you? That's a great question. A leader, leader, I think, is somebody that I might like to work for or or be around, somebody forward-thinking, somebody who who really cares about their, their staff and where their business is going somebody who makes you feel part of what, where you are, where you work, what you do, and what you've achieved so far. Who's looking forward, a certain amount of bravery, optimism, and um, somebody who, who, who pulls a crowd, pulls somebody along with them, or pushes behind them. A team spirit. That's what I think a leader is. And how do you do this within your business? Of course, you have a family business, so I'm sure Very it's much a slightly so. different dynamic. So how yeah. do you keep uh, your uh, people motivated? Well, my family, it's quite an interesting question, actually. We've been doing this, my family, the Davises, since, from father to son, since about 1901, rumor has it. My granddad was a hairdresser, Reuben. My son's a hairdresser. My mother-in-law's on reception, even in her 80s. My wife takes care of business in our office. My daughter takes care of all our promotions. So we are very much a family business. It's in our blood. It's in our DNA. But we include our staff. Some of my staff have had for 10 years, 12 years, 14 years. And strangely enough, their staff that come to me 
um, as work experience girls. I have hundreds of work experience girls come through our salon, but some stick in my mind. If I like them and I notice something in them, I don't forget them. And when I need them, I phone them and ask them to come and join us and be part of uh, be part of us. It's it's a it's a, it's a family thing. It it might come across as a little bit corny, but it's the brutal truth. Um, it's what we do. Now, of course, leadership doesn't develop in a vacuum. Uh, you must have had a role model who shaped you as you are. Uh, tell me a bit about them. Well, when I was uh, left school at uh, 15, I knew I wanted to be a hairdresser. My granddad was a hairdresser. My dad was a hairdresser. Or he, he, was, he did do some hairdressing. It's in our family, as I say. Uh, I knew I wanted to be a hairdresser. It wasn't something I bragged about on the playground in the 1970s, being a ladies' hairdresser. But I got my first job working for a lady called Denise Parker. And she was a great character, and um, she meant the world to me, and she, and she still does. She used to stay behind, show me how to cut hair, show me how to put hair up, show me how to blow dry. So whatever I wanted to do, she would stay behind in the salon. And if I was willing to give the hours to my training, then she was willing to give the hours to my training. She'd also never asked me to do something she wouldn't do herself. She was a, a, she was a, a great lady, and I think about her every day. It's so touching to hear those uh, about those people who've made such an impact on people's lives. Now, yeah. I'm sure that you've taken people under your wing. Do you have any apprentices or mentees? Yeah, I've got uh, I've got eight staff altogether. Um, my my main my manageress is called Lisa. When Lisa first came to the salon, she was the shyest girl you you ever did see. Um, she could hardly look at me. We never spoke for weeks, but I never got on her case. I just let her be herself. And as I say, now she's worked for me for, for nine, ten years. She's a talent and she's a brilliant girl. When we first met, she always wanted a camper van. And um, the day she got the camper van, me and my wife and all the rest of my team, we could hardly, hardly sleep because we knew she was getting this camper van. And it was a dream of about eight or ten years that she's always wanted this thing. It's a beautiful thing. And um, I know and she's not afraid to say she wouldn't have it if she never met me. And uh, I think that's a, a lovely thing to say, and it's a huge privilege to work next to her. The feeling's mutual. Now, of course, uh, one of the biggest difficulties in uh, being a leader within an organization is how to deal with conflict and when people yeah. uh, fail to make uh, themselves up to the mark. How do you handle this? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, my wife's not as hands-on as me. I'm sort of the personality of the salon, creates this atmosphere. You'd know what it was like if you saw it in there. Uh, we won an award for being the happiest salon, the friendliest salon, which is really, I think, very, very important. Um, so it means everyone's welcome in our salon and they feel welcome. However, when things do go wrong, and they have gone wrong, and I know they will go wrong, I am not, I'll admit I'm not great at it because I'm not, good at con uh, confrontation and all that. But what we do is we do it the, the legal way. We do it nice, nice, firm, nasty, legal, if we have to. Hopefully it never gets to that part. But I do tend to nip it in the bud. If I hear the slightest bit of trouble, gets, it becomes my way, Yeah, then I'll, we get them in our office. We ask if it's true, and we find out how we can make it go away, if at all possible. Now, unfortunately, our time together is starting to draw to its close. Uh, oh. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for the Salon? 
okay, the next 12 months, I'm really looking forward to it. I can't wait to get back to work with my colleagues. I don't want any new ones. I'm looking for no one else. I want them on furlough and I want them back. The salons, uh, the salons is a 350 year old building, um, which is always needed improving. It's a beautiful building with a beautiful garden and a beautiful atmosphere. And we're constantly working to make the, the atmosphere in our salon even better every day. We never sleep. We never rest. And I think the future's bright and I can't wait to get back with my colleagues and my team and do what's in our DNA. That's make people look and feel better. It's what we do. Well, George, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the program today and I do hope that you can come back when life has gotten back to normal. George, well, it'll be my thank pleasure. You. Thank you very much. That was George Davis, director of George Davis Hairdressing. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over the years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you, you're very... Fortunate, I think you, you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course uh, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at. West Ham uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players, and of course they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? 
I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the talent of the players I did. Again, mm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence. On me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict. But at times, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? 
Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's, that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark. Mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play, and didn't start because of just a lack of form or didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. 
Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked: Did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows." <laughs> I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot in the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance around, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses itself, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> What a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. I, just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, Is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. It's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to, to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. 
and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes I can elaborate as much as you want but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so but um, I'm conscious of the um, time um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many... Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish 
after the 66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't, and when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorize those, I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players, we had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. Showed. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that, that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.